0: Good morning. morning. uh, Sally and I have had the privilege of traveling to Israel. And I I have a lot of joy for the elders that were able to go and uh, see their pictures and um, sort of relive our trip. And we've had um, so many good memories there that uh, we, you know, just walking in the steps of Jesus, our Lord, uh, and it's a reminder that um, he uh, uh, loved Israel. He loved the Jews. And he, uh, he made an attempt to save those who were elect. Um, not everyone believed, obviously. His disciples believed because of his grace in their lives. Um, but uh, keep this in mind. I, uh, he will return. He will return to Jerusalem. And uh, we will all worship him someday. So today we're going to look at um, chapter 9. This is a long passage, and I promise to talk fast because I'm a fast talker. I'm from the north, and so I can talk as fast as I want. (laughs) Um, Charles Spurgeon said, It is Christ Jesus, who is the sum and substance of the gospel, who is in himself all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth, the all-glorious personal embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life. Each man will go to hell for all eternity unless he sees and worships Jesus as God and his master. In the book of John, we are given a record of actions and words that Jesus Christ spoke that are testimony of what John saw and heard. The miracles of Jesus displayed his power. The words of Jesus revealed his authority. John provides the Son of God's miracles and his words to convince us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing we may have life. <clears throat> in this passage, we will see that Jesus saves one poor beggar, a blind beggar, and then he taught that he is a good shepherd over his sheep. So to introduce this allegory, let's discuss first uh, the sheep and the relationship to the shepherd. And uh, I think it's important that we understand that. Um, Who Jesus came to save. Is this turned on? Nope. (laughs) Oops. Okay. Technical difficulty. There we go. Well, this is one cool dude. Um, This is a selfie of how man sees himself. And uh, this pretty much describes me before the God body slammed me. Okay, um, you know this guy is—he's he, autonomous, he's confident and self-sufficient. He sees—he has seen it all and knows it all. He's a very has very high self-esteem. You know, after all, school teaches you to have high self-esteem, right? Um, so you can dress up a sheep and make him look cool, but he's still a lost sheep. Alright. Man has rebelled against God, and from the very beginning, from the very beginning of creation, instead of listening to God, Adam and Eve listened to Satan and obeyed him. They did not believe God's word and followed Satan in rebellion against the Creator. Since that day, all mankind suffered separation from God and spiritual death. Satan is still at work deceiving us and making us believe we can trust in our own way, and our own truth. And in our own life, it is a big lie that, needs, that leads to spiritual blindness and death. Isaiah 53.6, which we're all familiar with, says, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. We are rebellious sheep that have sinned against our creator. So we need to see ourselves as God sees us and long for deliverance. So this is the way God sees us. We may not see ourselves this way, but this is the way God sees us. This is a picture, a true picture of mankind. Um, It's the ugly picture of man's desperate condition. You won't see a selfie like this on Facebook. Um, Man has fallen and cannot get up. The sheep above is a cast sheep. In this position, its stomach will become bloated and it will not be able to breathe. And it, it will die with a few, within a few hours unless the shepherd picks it up. Like sheep, we are helpless and cannot save ourselves. The Bible teaches that we are already dead because of our sinful rebellion against him. Remember Ephesians 2.1 says, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and now the ruler of the kingdom of the air The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, we are all like dying disobedient sheep that are blinded by Satan's deception. Unless we are rescued by the good shepherd, we would all go to hell. The good news is that Christ Jesus came into this world to save his sheep, to save his people. He gave his life to bear the penalty of our sin and guilt. I pray that all of our eyes will be open this morning to see the beauty of Jesus and who he is as a good shepherd and savior. So here's a picture of a present-day shepherd, probably in the Middle East somewhere. Um, and uh, you notice that um, this, uh, he's carrying, this shepherd is carrying an injured or lost sheep back to the flock. This uh, diligent shepherd would count his sheep to make sure none of them were lost. If one were missing... He would go and search until that lamb were found. This care is described by Jesus in Luke 15. Remember, he said, What a man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, would he not go and um, uh, does he not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus came to rescue his lost sheep. The passage today should help you see and worship Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate good shepherd who saves his sheep. So we're going to look, uh, in this passage, we, uh, I broke it down into four sections. First of all, Jesus seeks, seeks and saves the lost sheep. Second, Jesus tells the parable of the shepherd and the sheep. Then he proclaims he is a door or life of life for the sheep. And then he proclaims he is a good shepherd who died for a sheep. So in uh, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, we see... Um, that um, the Pharisees, uh, I'll just read this, Jesus heard that, that they had put him out, the blind man had been put out. You remember the blind man was healed by Jesus, and uh, he went to tell the Pharisees uh, about his healing, that he would uh, received his sight from this man named Jesus, and uh, they didn't like that. They not, did not like it at all, because uh, they decided this man has been um, is a follower of Jesus, so they kicked him out of the temple. So Jesus found him. <clears throat> he was kicked out of the temple and he went to find him. And he found him and he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So in verse 35, uh, we see that uh, the priest should have been seeking Jesus to worship him because he gave sight to this blind man. No one ever received uh, sight. Uh, no, one ever, no, uh, no regular man has given sight to a blind, and there's no um, history in the Old Testament that ever happening. So Jesus is the Son of God who gave sight, and they should have, re- have worshipped him. But instead, they reject the testimony of this blind man and rejected the Son of God who performed the miracle. Jesus shows his concern for this man that was cast out by the religious, religious authorities. So let's think about this. Jesus, who is the creator of the world, is searching for a beggar that he had healed. Do you see the humility and compassion of Jesus? He searched to find that lost sheep who had been rejected by the priests. When Jesus found him, he then asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus, Jesus is asking, do you continually believe in the Son of Man? In other words, do you have active faith in the Son of Man? In verse 36, the blind man asked him, Sir, or Lord, who is he that I may believe? Obviously, he doesn't know yet that this, uh, the man talking to him is Jesus, and that he, he's the one that healed him. Because if you remember, he was blind, and he went, Jesus put mud on his eyes, and he went to the pool of Siloam to wash off, and then he received his sight. So he never really saw Jesus until now. But he wasn't sure because he had never seen him. So remember that um, here he is. Jesus is seeking him out so that blind man can see him. So in the next verse, Jesus said, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. Because he heard his voice before, but now he sees him. Do you see the beauty of the blind man's response? He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. His immediate response of worship is the only scene in the gospel of John where anyone is said to worship Jesus. And I find that incredible. With all the stories, all the miracles, there's one man here recorded by John that worshiped him. The man sees Jesus with spiritual eyes now, and he has spiritual understanding. He knows that this is the Lord. By his power, Christ gave this man a new heart. Christ has the power to change the will of man to repent of sin and turn to worship Him. Jesus has Jesus opened your eyes to cause you to worship Jesus, the Lord in your life. Next, we will see the judgment that Jesus had for those who do not worship Jesus. See the Pharisees who rejected Christ; they are still blind, and uh, so He's He's addressing them now and uh, addressing their in in a way of judgment. <clears throat> In verse um, 39, he says, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see me may see, and those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? You can hear the pride in their voice. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. So in verse 39, Jesus states, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. <clears throat> I think this is a key verse in this passage to tell us why Jesus came into the world. He came to judge between the blind and the seeing. This is a key verse that gives us a purpose statement. And by his grace, he gave the blind man both physical and And spiritual sight. And he worshipped him as a result. So the response in his judgment, Jesus came also to expose Pharisees and others who think that they have spiritual sight. He shows that they are really the blind man. They are really blind. And they need to have their eyes open. So they should be begging for God's help and see him the way the blind man saw him. Verse 40, the Pharisees reveal their blindness when they say, we are not blind too, are we? They're saying, wow, I can see it. We have it all together. We're just like that sheep with a cowboy hat on. We got it all together. We know. We've we've seen it all. We're we're confident in ourselves. So um, the issue is that Jesus had to address this blindness. Jesus said to them, if you were blind... You would have no sin, but since you say we see, your sin remains. The Pharisees say they have all biblical things clear, see all biblical biblically things clearly, but fail to worship the Lord in front of them. Seeing without spiritual eyes and hearing without spiritual ears, the unregenerate eyes and ears of men will not be able to believe in Christ. Spiritually dead men cannot see the beauty of Christ, the Messiah who is standing in front of them. Their sin has made them blind, and they are spiritually dead. Our bondage to sin is real, and it has caused spiritual death. The spiritual condition of the Pharisees were, obviously they were dead in their sins. And Jesus warned the Pharisees of their self-righteous blindness elsewhere. In Luke 5, he said, 531, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call the righteous, not the righteous, i come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees' pride and sin blinded their eyes, so they did not repent. They did not turn to the Son of God who could give them sight. Have your eyes been opened? Do you see Jesus and worship him as your Lord and your King? So, in the following text, uh, Jesus gave a, shares a parable that will actually confuse the Pharisees even more. But it will help his children, those who are called sheep, to see the inside of power and authority that Jesus has as our good shepherd. So this is a picture of what a sheep pen would look like in the Old Testament, uh, or in the New Testament, actually, too. That a shepherd would build a fence, uh, a tall fence around his sheep to protect them. And so this is an artist's concept of what that would look like. The parable is an allegory. It paints a picture. And it's, uh, in other words, we have, we have to stretch the allegory a little bit to understand it. Um, but um, I'm trusting that by God's spirit, uh, we will all understand this allegory. Okay, Jesus used the allegory to give a picture of God's children under the control and rule of Jesus Christ. So this is what it looks like to be... If you had a picture of what it would be to be in Christ, this is what Jesus would is telling us. This is what it's like to be in Christ. Okay. <clears throat> the shepherd in the time of Jesus would have complete rule or complete complete control over the sheep, and there's a reason for that. It's a good reason. It's not a bad reason. Um, we want our shepherd to be in control of us, right? The control is necessary to protect the sheep from harm. The sheepfold was designed to uh, keep the predators out, especially at night, and when wolves would be killing the sheep. Also, the fence would keep the sheep from wandering away at night, or even during the day if the shepherd wasn't there. It would keep them safe uh, from wandering away and getting lost. You notice there's only one door, and I don't know whether you can see it, but there is a shepherd sitting in that door at the entrance of this sheepfold. You'll notice that the shepherd is um, there for a reason and that, that he has complete control over that door. No one can get in or out without the shepherd's permission. Uh, no sheep can get in, no sheep can get out. But the wolf can't get in. Uh, the shepherd's there to protect the sheep. Now, <clears throat> the shepherd keeps the sheep from wandering away and getting lost. The shepherd will defend the sheep if need be, if there's a wolf or some, something that tries to harm the sheep. This picture Jesus uses to describe his sovereign authority over his sheep or over his children that are under his care. Keep this image in mind as we see Jesus describe the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd in the passage. So let's, if we turn to chapter 10, verses 1, I'll read. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep ...but climbs up some other way. He is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own and he goes ahead of them, the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So in verse 1, we read, Truly, truly, I say to you, he does not enter, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. The door of the sheep pen was the only way of authorized entry. And that's true today. There's only one way that Uh, anyone can get into Christ. It is through Christ himself. You cannot get into the kingdom of God any other way except through Christ. So thieves would climb the wall in order to rob or kill the sheep inside that sheep pen. So the shepherd is there to prevent that from happening, and the the fence is there to keep them out. In verses 2 to 3 we read, But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep, To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So there is a shepherd that enters by that door. And uh, the scripture says the doorkeeper is the guard of the sheep pen and allows that shepherd to enter in. Now, there's a lot of argument of who this doorkeeper is, but um, I like to um, agree with John Calvin because I think he's smarter than I am. John Calvin says he proposed that the doorkeeper is God. God the Father recognizes the shepherd, and he is the only authorized shepherd of the sheep. He is the one that recognizes that and allows him to access to the sheepfold. He allows his access to the kingdom of God. The shepherd calls his own sheep by their name. Now this I find incredible. Sheep only respond to the voice who they know who they've heard, who they recognize. Sheep farmers will tell you that no stranger can call his sheep because the, the sheep naturally will listen and know the voice of the farmer. You can see that. I've watched several videos on this. You can see uh, how farmers call their sheep. And uh, one one shepherd I was calling his sheep and it was in a heavy fog. He couldn't see any sheep anywhere. And, uh, you know, The sheep couldn't even see the shepherd. But once they heard his voice, they started running toward him. So he kept calling and calling and calling until they all came to him. It's incredible. So this is just a a concept of uh, understanding the control that the shepherd has. His voice has power. The sheep only respond to the voice of the shepherd and they follow him because they know his voice. We need to realize that the shepherd calls the sheep by name. You realize that You know, this is a one-by-one type of call. Um, It's not a cattle call. It's a one-by-one call. This is supported by Ephesians 1, 3 and 4, where um, it reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. You think about that. Before the foundation of the world, our name was written in the book of life. So the shepherd knows his sheep. He knows your name. If you are called by him, he will call you. The good shepherd will call, and he makes sure those sheep are in his fold, that that they are under his control and his protection verse 4, Jesus says, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. This calls the power of the shepherd to make his voice heard and make each sheep follow him. They must follow his leadership because they know and trust him. This is made possible by the commanding authority of the shepherd over the sheep. The effect of the shepherd's voice on the sheep is similar to the effectual call of the Lord to each and every person That will hear and respond to Jesus Christ. To repent, believe, and follow him in obedience. Have you heard that voice today? I pray that you have. I pray that you have not heard it yet. That you will hear his voice. And that you will follow him. In verse 5, Jesus says, A stranger they simply will not follow. But they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So here, furthermore, Jesus says that sheep will just not follow a stranger. They will recognize that he's strange. Okay? It's not the voice of the strength of the shepherd. <clears throat> sheep will run away. This is the power that the true shepherd has over the sheep that follow him. Shepherds that are imposters cannot fool the true sheep. The true sheep will run away from false teachers. So I hope that um, you understand that false teachers really do not have power. Over true sheep. There's many false teachers today, and many of them do not preach Jesus Christ as the good shepherd. They try to elevate themselves and talk about themselves more than Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 6, we read the figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So John makes a commentary. He says, Hey, these people, these Pharisees, have no clue what Jesus was talking about. They were blind. They couldn't understand this parable. So um, they were spiritually blinded by their sin, specifically. It's their sin that's keeping them blind. They need to be set free. They need to have a savior. They need to be regenerated. They needed a a shepherd that would do that. So in verses 7 through 10, we see um, that Jesus is the door. He is the door leading to life. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, in our picture, we... We pointed out I pointed out that there shepherd was in that door of the sheepfold he is the door he is a living door it's not a dead door he's the, the amazing thing about this claim if you listen to the words he says I am the door of the sheep Wow <laughs> notice he uses a definite article the he is not a door. He is not one of many doors. He is the door. There is no other way. There is no other way to have a relationship with God. This should remind us of Jesus' response to Thomas later in John, where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus makes it clear that he is the only way. We need to think of Jesus as the living door. This is not a door that can be pushed open. He is a living door that calls his sheep. He calls his sheep to come to him. When they hear his voice, they will respond. In verse 8, Jesus says that all shepherds before him were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. They were not sent by God, but were false shepherds that claimed to offer salvation for the sheep but the sheep did not hear them. You know, we uh, in our Wednesday night study, we've been uh, studying Jeremiah, and uh, the uh, there's only a few people that actually respond to the voice of God. Jeremiah is one of them, and there's just one other man that we actually identified. But the point of it is that um, only the sheep will respond to the uh, voice of the shepherd. Only sheep will respond to that living door and only that shepherd can cause a sheep to hear his voice by his own authority and power. The power of the Son of God makes the sheep come to him. So it's by God's grace. It's by God's grace that we can hear and come to him. In verse 9, Jesus speaks to this audience and says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. By saying this, he is claiming to be the promised deliverer or Messiah to anyone who hears his voice. This imitation is literal. By entering through Jesus, Jesus as the door, the hearer can have safety and provision of his grace. It is only through his power and his grace that we can enter into the Son of God. His imitation is possible by his undeserved favor shown to his children that hear his call in the scriptures. The sheep who follow their shepherd will go in and out of the sheepfold. They will be protected from harm from the thieves that come to kill and destroy. And the sheep will be fed the food that the shepherd provides. So you see that uh, he is the one who is attending the sheep. He's not going to leave them alone. Whether they are in the sheepfold or not, they are protected. You know, um, I know that um, those who've gone on mission trips sometimes are scared to death. But you know what? The shepherd goes with them and follows and uh, watches over them and protects them. So we can be, have that same confidence and faith in Christ who's our good shepherd. In verse 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He compares himself to the thieves that only want to steal and kill. They came to destroy. This should remind us that uh, our Satan is a, like a roaring lion. He seeks to destroy those who follow Christ. But the shepherd is greater than the lion. He is greater than the wolves. He is greater than anything that comes against us. So he says he came in order to provide life for his children. Now, this is not normal life, but an abundant life. The abundant life is not just eternal life in this context. Um, This is a, um, not the abundant, but neither is it the abundance of material things of this world. But there is abundance found in Christ. And his grace is that abundance. That grace is provided to us and it's not affected by sin in this world. It overcomes sin, it gives us power over sin. And it protects us from being um, the sin of the world. So by his grace, we will taste and see that the Lord is good. We can have abundant life through Christ alone. Whoever comes to me, in John 6:35, Jesus said, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, is he talking about literal hunger and literal thirst? No. We know some Christians are starving in prisons today because of their faith. We know that um, many are dying uh, because of their faith and have died in the past history. I know uh, the elders showed some pictures of areas where um, some of the reformers were burned at the stake. They died in faith. Were they were they protected? Yes, they were protected by God's great grace to have abundant life, life that is eternal, but life that is also full of his grace. So <clears throat> everyone who knows him can have the joy of relationship even when they are dying. Um, I think that there's many of the words that the reformers that were at the, burning at the stake reveal the joy that they had in Christ. They were willing to die for their Savior. By grace, we are saved from death, from eternal death. We are forgiven of sin and adopted into God's family. We will enjoy an abundance of joy in Christ that the world cannot take away. Are you living in Jesus Christ and enjoying his presence today? Only the sheep that abide in him and worship him will have this joy. Next, we see Jesus as the good shepherd that died for the sheep. In John chapter 10, verse 11, it reads, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father And I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 11, translated literally in the Greek, would read, I am the shepherd, the good one. He is a good shepherd that demonstrates his goodness far above all other shepherds. How does he do this? By laying down his life for his sheep. He lays down his life on behalf of his sheep. And and he's taken their place by laying down his life. So the good shepherd bore the wrath of God that was actually we deserve. In John, First John four nine through ten, it says, "By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us." And and um, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So it's not that we loved him. He loved us. He took the initiative to die in our place. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus because of our our sin and guilt, not because of his. The love of our good shepherd motivated him to rescue his undeserving and rebellious children from the effect of sin. The sheep are in danger... The sheep are in big danger of eternal punishment unless there is a substitute to take that punishment. Jesus laid his life down in order to purchase it and redeem us and save us from God's wrath and judgment. The shepherd became a lamb. The shepherd became a lamb that sacrificed his life so we could have life. How should we respond to this? We must all repent and follow Jesus Christ. He is worthy. In verses 12 and 13, Jesus said, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Unlike bad shepherds, Jesus is a rightful owner of the sheep. He will not leave the sheep alone. He will not leave us alone for the wolf to snatch us away. However, Jesus, remember, Jesus has power over every enemy and he protects his children so they will persevere. In contrast, the higher hands or bad shepherds will run away when they see a wolf. The reason they run is because they are not the owner. They do not own the sheep. Uh, and being a manager um, of many people, I can tell you one of the things about identifying something about people is that if they take ownership in what they do and loving what they do and loving in, especially in healthcare, you can tell a difference between someone who's there just for the money or someone who's there because they love the patients that they're taking care of. So Jesus is that kind of good shepherd. He loves his sheep. He is the owner Of the sheep. He takes ownership and control of them. So, those who are selfish uh, look out for their own interests and they're not concerned for the sheep. That's true about false shepherds, false teachers. It's true about uh, those who are hired hands who are only in the ministry for money. So, the Pharisees are being described here. They're in it for not good reasons, they really don't love the sheep. The evidence is they kicked out a blind man who had been healed, one of God's sheep that Jesus loved. They ignored the sheep when threatened and they did not watch over that, um, the sheep as they should. In verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and in my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I laid down my life for the sheep. Jesus knows his sheep and sheep knows him, the sheep know him, Christ proclaims that we can have the same intimacy of relationship. You notice he says that uh, he loves, we will know him just as the, he and the Father know each other. How does he do this? Well, this is the intimacy of the work of the Holy Spirit within each dwelling, indwelling every believer. In John 17, 25, Jesus prayed and asked for this kind of intimacy. He said, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, Yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known. So the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Do you know we can know the love of God that um, we have through his Holy Spirit that lives within us? Do you know this kind of love? Do you know his love for you? Next we'll see that the good shepherd also desires to redeem other sheep uh, after he is resurrected. So Jesus is the good shepherd who died for the sheep. In verse 10, he said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must, or Actually, verse 16, I'm sorry. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. In verse 16, we see that Jesus said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they'll hear my voice, and it'll become one flock with one shepherd. So here, Jesus says he has other sheep, not of this fold, and I assume he's you know, pointing to the the fold here in Israel. So Jesus implies he will call our sheep into his flock that are not Jews, but Gentiles. He will call his sheep from all the Gentile nations. uh, And that's, if you think about it, we wouldn't be here today if he didn't have that plan. So the shepherd is still at work, even today, calling Gentile people like us into relationship that um, we would never have. He does this by the work of the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer. God is at work today because he's at work in each of our hearts to share the gospel, to be a testimony of Jesus. And we have an overflow of that relationship that we have with him, and we tell other people about the joy that we have. Remember in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said after he had risen from the dead, he said to his disciples, all authority has been given me to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So all the nations of the world will hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether or not you cooperate with his plan, they will hear. He will send missionaries to hear the gospel, that will present the gospel. The voice of the Good Shepherd and the gospel is being carried to the end of the earth by the sovereign shepherd who is still at work. This would not have happened without the resurrection, his resurrection from the dead. Remember, he said he would send his spirit, his helper to indwell the disciples, and that spirit indwells us today to enable us to do that, um, to carry on the Great Commission. In verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive my Father. Um, These are words These are not words of a normal man. These are crazy words, okay? Who can say this? No one can say this except the Son of God, that he has authority to lay down his life, and he has authority to take it up again. So here, you know, I have to agree with C.S. Lewis that Jesus Christ is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. You make the decision. We can see that God the Father loves Jesus his son because he willingly lays down his life so that he may take it up again. It's by his own authority that he does this. He says he has the authority to raise himself from the dead. What an amazing claim. His death and resurrection was carried out because of his own desire, his own will. His death was not an accident or merely because Jesus was too weak or, you know, too, too he wasn't strong enough to prevent evil men from killing him. Before Jesus died, he told his disciples, greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. So love motivated the sovereign shepherd who became the lamb of God to pay for our sin. We see that it is his will and his authority that made him do this. We can praise him today because of that love. We have that shepherd who loves us and took the initiative to rescue us from sin. In verse 18, Jesus also states he states that the, he, this is a commandment he received from his Father. <clears throat> so uh, I see here that God the Father commissioned Jesus to die and be resurrected as our Savior and Shepherd. The Father commanded and the Son of God obeyed. So we worship the living, great Shepherd who gave his life on our behalf and lives today to intercede on our behalf. Someday the great shepherd will return to take us home to be with him forever. And we shall see him face to face. There we will worship him in all his glory. Please pray with me. Lord, we just thank you that you are the good shepherd. We are undeserving sheep. We thank you that you have worked by your grace and by your power and authority to call us by name, to call us into relationship with you. We praise you. We love you. We ask that you would uh, bless us. That you would enable us to uh, fulfill every good thing in our lives that pleases you. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the earth eternal, eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.